Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right. Let's, uh, let's pray and open God's Word together. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for, Lord, for your Word Lord, that instructs us, that helps us, that points us back to you again. God, thank you for the way that you love us and care for us and and speak to us. God, I ask this morning that you would remove distractions. You would help us to fix our eyes and our gaze upon you. God, thank you that you love us. You care for us. You provide all that we need. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're continuing on in our series in the parables. If you want to turn with me over to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13 this morning. This is the guy who needs some loaves of bread at midnight. And I was looking back over this. If you remember, we preached through the gospel of Luke a number of years ago. So I'm looking back over my notes to find out at what point I preached over this passage. Lo and behold, I, I didn't preach over this passage. So this is new for me. So I'm excited about that. So last week, we talked about the unforgiving servant, right? You guys remember that? The guy that owed billions of dollars to his, his, his boss, his master, and the other guy who owed his buddy $5,000 and just all the chaos that ensued with that. This week, we're looking at a friend at midnight. And so has anyone here ever had a friend show up at your house at the late hours, midnight, late hours of the night, needing some food for, uh, for their friend who is coming into town. Has this ever happened to anybody? Okay. All right. So this has never happened to anybody in this church. So we're already at a disadvantage, right? So we're, we're going to relate. We're going to talk about something that, that took place that none of us can relate to. We have no idea what this feels like or what the experience of this would be. So I'm trying to think, what would this, would something similar be that we would have experienced? Okay, so tell me if you've ever had this experience. Someone comes up to you and says, hey, are you doing anything on Saturday morning? Right? And you say, no. And then they say, I need a ride to the airport. Right? <laughs> Has anyone had that experience? Okay, we've all had some, some similar, like, okay, right? What is your next question to your friend then? Okay, so you're like, yeah, I can, I can, I'm around, I don't have anything going on, you need to ride to the airport and say, what, what's, your, what's your next question that you have for your friend? What time? Right? And what do they say? They say, I got a five o'clock flight in the morning, right? And you're like, well, I should have asked that before I told you I had nothing going on. And then the next question would be, what airport, right? Of course it's O'Hare. So it's just what happens. We've all been there. We've all, that's all happened to us. Now, in the context of what Jesus is about to say, we have to look at the beginning of chapter 11 of the Gospel of Luke. And so at the very beginning of, of Luke chapter 11, we have the disciples approaching Jesus Christ with a question. This is a marvelous question to ask Jesus. Now, this is what it says. Now, Jesus, is, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, 
teach us to pray. What a beautiful, wonderful question to ask the Lord. Man, he is pleased with this question. There is no way he's like, you know what? I'm sorry, guys. We're busy. We got to get going. Hey, we'll get to that question later. Or, man, he launches in, and that's where we, he, he, what he says is he says, okay, I'll teach you to pray. And he, we get the Lord's prayer from this, from this question. We get the Lord's prayer. Then moving on, so he gives him the Lord's prayer. And now we move to verse 5. Okay, we're not going to spend time with the Lord's Prayer, which I wish we had time to do this morning. We don't. So the, the disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray. He says, no problem. He goes in, gives them the Lord's Prayer. Then we move on to verse 5. And he said to them, so Jesus is now speaking to the disciples. He says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. So he's got a friend who shows up at midnight, and in, in this part of the world, many, they don't have, obviously, they don't have cell phones, they don't have GPS, they have no idea how long these certain journeys were going to take. And so a friend may have miscalculated the amount of time it would take him to get somewhere, so he shows up late, or it's really hot during the day. And so travel sometimes was at was at night because it was cooler and traveling made traveling much easier. Either way, there's no food at the home of his friend. And so in the days where there were no preservatives in the bread like we have today, right? You could, you could buy a loaf of Wonder Bread and it'd probably sit there for a month, perfectly fine, right? Back then they'd make the bread that they needed in the morning for the day. And in a smaller community... Right in a smaller, this isn't like the city, this isn't a metropolis, this isn't even a, a town, this is a, a small cluster of homes, probably. Everybody knew who made the bread or how much bread was made in the morning. So we kind of knew hey, look, so and so was out making bread this morning, they made some loaves, I'll go to their house because I know that they were baking this morning. And so they understood who had the bread and what house they were living. It was, it was no secret. It's not like they can just run to the store and go get some bread. They know who had the food. Now, I want to just give us one other item for our consideration with the, with the cultural context. The culture that we live in here in the States, in the Western culture, we live in a guilt or innocent culture. Okay, so you're either guilty or you're innocent. You do a crime, you pay for the crime. It's a very... It's also a very individualistic culture, right? I don't take into consideration what my neighbor thinks if I'm going to go buy a car or if I'm going to make a decision about parenting my children. I don't consider what the other people on my street have to think about that. I make the decision based upon what we think as a family is best for us, regardless of what anyone else around us think in terms of where we live and the people that are, live around us, right? This is primarily how we live in the States. Now, that's a guilt-innocent culture. So when we commit a crime, we go to jail or we, we pay a fine, and then we, we, we've done our time, we've done our sentence, we, we're released, there's, we're done. Now, in this culture, when a lot of cultures in Middle East, a lot of cultures in Asia, it's a more of an honor-shame culture. So it's very much considering 
what do my neighbors and what do the people around me think about the things that I'm doing? And the things that I'm doing, would it bring dishonor or would it bring shame to who I am as a person or to us as a community? So for instance, if, if I've committed a crime, it's not whether or not, hey, did I pay my debt to society in terms of, hey, I spent you know, four, years, four years in jail for this theft and now I'm, I'm done and I'm good and clean. It's I've done something that's been shameful to me and therefore I need to do whatever I can to restore honor to my name, to the name of our community, to the name of our family. It's an honor, shame. A lot of international students from, from the Asian cultures, they've grown up in an honor, shame culture. And that's why it's, sometimes it's hard when we ask someone, hey, do you want to come over to my home? If you're from an honor, shame culture, you would never tell the person to their face, no. You'd say yes, and then maybe later you'd get a phone call or maybe you know something that would, would not dishonor you in front of other people. It's very important. Now, when this guy shows up for some, at midnight from a long journey and needs some food, it's not about, hey, buddy, I know you're hungry. You probably should have stopped at Chick-fil-A on the road, right? That's where all good Christians go to eat, right? So you should have stopped at Chick-fil-A, the Christian restaurant, and gotten some food before you got here. What, you sh- what happens is, is it would have been very dishonoring to the guest who showed up if we had no food, as well as dishonoring to the community who is unable or unwilling to provide him with any kind of food. So all the way around, it would have been very dishonoring to everyone involved for someone to show up and us to say, hey, bud, I'm so sorry, it's late. We've got nothing for you. Why don't you just go to bed? We'll get something for you in the morning. That would not have happened. We will provide food at all costs to honor you and also so that we ourselves are showing that we are honoring. Okay? So it's very, very important. Okay, now... Let's move on to verse 7. So, the guy goes to his friend. He says in verse 7, and he, he will answer him from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are all with me in bed. I cannot, to get, I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, the people that Jesus was talking to would have had a bit of a chuckle when they heard Jesus say this, Right? Just like as we talk about someone asking you to, for a ride for the airport, right? We kind of get like, a, yeah, I get that, right? We understand that. When Jesus is talking to the people in this passage, they knew exactly where Jesus was going with this story. They anticipated the fact that the person inside was like, hey, look, all my kids are in bed. I, I know that you need some food, and I know that this is going to happen. Here's, here's how this would work. In the first century, in Palestine where they were, you'd have a home. And it would be typically a one-room home. Two-thirds of the home would have been on ground level with like dirt that was beaten down with some leaves or some, some reeds or something covering over the dirt. And then one-third, the back section of the home, would be raised on a bit of a platform, and that's where the people would sleep. Now, the other two-thirds of the area would then be filled with livestock because... If we are in a culture where farming and, and animals and those kinds of things are, are common, you'd have to put your animals inside somewhere, and we couldn't afford a barn necessarily. So the animals would be inside to keep them away from either theft or from a predator or something. And so for this guy to get up 
from where he's sleeping with his family, right? We don't have separate bedrooms and different bathrooms for everybody. I mean, this is, everyone's up, upstairs, in a sense, in this one-room area. For him to get up and answer the door, right, it would require basically waking everybody up, getting down, disturbing the animals, going to the door, and opening the door. Everyone is going to wake up at that point. The animals are getting up. The kids are... It's like when you just get the baby to fall asleep, and then the phone rings, right? You've had that experience. What happens? The baby wakes up, and you're like, really? The phone is ringing right now. The baby's just falling asleep. It takes a while to get the kids back down, to get the animals resettled. It's a huge ordeal. But everyone hearing Jesus would be like, yeah, I've been there. We know what that's like. We've experienced that before. Yep, the guy's got to get up, and he's got to, of course he's going to do that. See, I think what what sometimes confuses us in verse 5, he starts off by saying, which of you who has a friend? And the better translation would be would, for him to say, who of you who has a friend, right? There's an assumption here. Not that the person who's in the home is sleeping is unwilling or does not want to. He realizes and wake everybody up. But in order for this honor and shame thing to work, he knows that him knocking on the door, it will produce a result. His friend will get up and give him bread. There's no doubt about that. The, the answer is, no one has a friend that would not get up. All of our, all of our community would respond with, with great, um, I don't know, with great energy to do whatever is asked of them so that the guests would not be dishonored, so that the community would not be dishonored. So, if you had a friend who called you and said, I've been in a bad accident, I need to get to the hospital right now, right? You wouldn't say, hey, look, I'm in bed, look, it's late, you just woke the baby up. Every one of us would jump in the car and run out to help our friend. That's what we would do, right? That, that's an expected response from all of us. In the same way as Jesus is telling the story, the expected response would be, yes, absolutely we'll get up. I mean, I may not want to wake up all the kids, I may not want to get, disturb all the the livestock. I mean, I don't want to do all that stuff, but I will absolutely do that. No questions asked. Now, verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Okay? So because of the honor, because of the honor and shame of this situation, he would absolutely get up and do this. Jesus moves on to verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Why do that? For everyone who asks, receives. To the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Man, what a beautiful promise from the Lord. Can you imagine that? Can you, can you imagine the words that Jesus just spoke? Ask, seek, knock. Why? Because the Lord will respond. Because the Lord will respond. Why is he calling this out? Because he knows that there will be a response, that there's a question asked, there's a seeking, there's a knocking, there's a pursuing, 
and there will be a response. Verse 11, what father among you? The answer is there isn't a father among you that would do this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He asks the same question in verse 5. Who among you? Now we see this. What father among you? There's none. Every single person is going to respond to this. And then He goes on to say, how much more? I want to just make a few comments about this parable. We read this parable from the get-go, and I think we've, if you've been around church, I'd say for a number of years, more than likely you've read this passage or heard this passage preached from, right? Now, we hear this passage, and the picture that we get is of a guy going to his friend, right? And he gets to his friend's house, and, hey, is anyone in there? I see your car in the driveway. I see the TV on. Oh, wait, the TV just went off. I know you're still in there, right? Is that the picture we get of the guy going through and trying to figure out where his friends are, going to their house, right? Is that the picture we have? Now, how many times did it say, in this, in this parable that Jesus spoke, how many times did it say the guy knocks on the other guy's door? How many times? Five? Three? One? None. There's no knocking. Right? Do you read that in the parable? Where does it say the guy knocks? It doesn't. Now, how many times does the guy ask? Five times? Three times? Once. He asked one time. There's no knocking. And he asks his friend once. We serve a God who is eager to bless and to respond to his people. Right? We get the picture of us somehow having to, to wake God up. God, would you just please listen to me? God, would you please, can I just get your attention for a little bit? God, there's some needs that I have, and I just need to continue to, to, to lay these before you because, because man, if, if I don't, you're going to forget about it, or you're not going to hear me, or I know there's so much going on. That's not the picture we have in this parable. Now, there's other parables that encourage us to continue to press on in prayer and those kinds of things, but that's not this parable. This parable says the guy shows up at his house and asks one question. And there will be a response. That's the beauty. This is not about us trying to somehow get God's attention because he's not listening or he's sleeping or he's busy. This is about us going to, going to the Father, asking him for the needs that we have in our lives. And then it says at the very end, how much more 
Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is staggering, right? This is like going and asking your friend, going to your friend and asking for a ride to the airport and Him giving you a private jet instead, right? I mean, this is what He's saying. He's not saying, look, ask for what you need a fish, an egg, some bread. He says, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He's not saying, look, I'm just going to give you something on the side or just give you enough. I'm going to actually give you the, the promise of the Holy Spirit, my very presence amongst you. It's going to fill your lives and transform you and change you forever. And you just wanted an egg. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's completely disproportionate to the ask. We ask for a little God says, man, you haven't asked enough. Here's the Holy Spirit. This will transform and change your life forever. This is what God is doing in the middle of all this. He does not need to be awakened. He does not need to be reminded. He hasn't forgotten. He knows exactly what we need. How much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Have you asked for more of the Holy Spirit? Have you asked God for more of himself to fill your life, to change you, to transform you, to renew you, to help you, to strengthen you, to build faith in you, to change our focus away from what we think we need to, Lord, what do we really need in this moment? God knows. Now, that's the first picture of God that we get. Not a God who's begrudgingly giving gifts, but who's eager and willing to respond. Number two, we are not just encouraged to ask, but we're actually commanded to ask. This is not about us somehow, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. We are commanded to ask. And oftentimes we view our relationship with the Father through a human lens, right? So the way that we gauge our relationships is you wouldn't necessarily go to someone that you haven't seen in 10 years and ask them for a ride to the airport, right? Because there hasn't been any really time invested or weight that you're going to be able to put on that relationship to make an ask and to try to, you know, help, have someone help you with something you haven't seen them in a decade, Sometimes we think about our relationship with the Lord in the same kind of terms. Man, I've had a bad week this week. I, I haven't read my Bible, I haven't prayed, I haven't sought the Lord. I, I've actually completely forgot about the Lord. I drank too much the other night. I watched a movie I shouldn't have watched. I, I yelled at my kid. I mean, all these things. And it, it weighs upon us. And we think about our relationship with God and going to God. We, we look at it from that lens. Man, God, I'm a mess. I, I haven't pursued you this week. I haven't done any time. Maybe this week, maybe this month, or maybe it's, it's been years. So how can I ever go to the Lord? I mean, it's, it's, I've made a mess of things. And in light of the human, our human perspective of our relationship with the Lord, it really in some ways can make a lot of sense. Yeah, I haven't prayed in a long time. How can I, how can I do that to the Lord? How could I put that kind of weight on our relationship when in some ways I haven't done the time? 
However, we forget heaven's perspective. We are sons and daughters of the King. We have been filled with His Holy Spirit. We have been rescued from the, from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of His Son, whom He loves. We are called by His name. We have been ransomed and redeemed and restored and filled. He's given us hope and life. He beckons us to draw near. He pursues us. He lavishes grace and mercy every single day upon our lives. This relationship is not to be viewed from a human perspective. This is a, this is a heavenly relationship that we have. And with the Lord, he, he, he beckons us. He welcomes us. He is eager to respond to us. Our relationship with the Lord can bear the weight of whatever we have going on in our lives. It can bear the weight because God can bear the weight. It's not about what we've done or what we can do or how we're maintaining our side of the deal or the equation. It's purely based upon the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And that faithfulness and goodness knows no end. We'll get to heaven one day and we're going to sing his praises of his faithfulness for all eternity. There won't be a day that we'll come and say, you know what, I've exhausted that. For all eternity, we're going to do that. All right. Those are a couple thoughts on the parable. Let me give us a, a few more things on prayer. Then we're going to hear a testimony from Amy Maples. Some, thoughts, some closing thoughts on prayer. Number one, God knows better than we do what is best, okay? So sometimes we read this and we think, well, then I'm given the, the green light to ask for the winning Powerball numbers every single week, right? I mean, he says to ask. I, I think that I would like to know the winning Powerball numbers this week if possible. But sometimes the answer is no. God knows better than we do what is best. My son Maxwell is three years old, and if it was up to him, he would play in the street all day long, right? If you gave a three-year-old an option, son, would you like to go to Disney World for a week, Great America for a week, or play in the street for a week? He would take the street every single time. I promise you. I mean, we would save hundreds of lives and accidents a year if we made sidewalks out of street, okay? I'm just saying. If we could do that, we would, I mean, it just would be staggering, but because I love him, because I care about him, because I'm invested into his life, when he says, Daddy, I want to go play in the street, I love playing in the street, I tell him no. Not because I, I, I hate him or because I'm ignoring him or I don't want him to have fun or I, I want him to somehow miss out on, on real living Tell him no, because we know best. He doesn't see the whole picture. Mommy and daddy see the whole picture, so we say no. But other times, point two, other times, so sometimes the answer is no, but sometimes the answer is not yet. All right, sometimes the answer is not yet. See, God sees the whole picture from beginning to end. 
God knows the beginning from the end. He's created all things in between. He, gets, he sees the whole thing. So his answer, he answers with perfect timing every single time. I don't know if you've ever walked into a movie 10 minutes after it started, right? And you, you spend the rest of the movie trying to figure out, what did I miss in the first 10 minutes, right? What did I miss? I'm trying to piece together, you know, what happened, what took place, what, what, you know, what was said that I missed. And so we spend the rest of the movie trying to figure out what, what we missed. Now, if you can imagine us walking into a movie 10 minutes after it began and then leaving 10 minutes before it ended and us say, okay, that's the movie, we'd leave pretty confused, wouldn't we? I mean, we may see a little bit and understand a little bit, but we'd miss probably the big picture. I think that that's the way that we live most of our lives, right? We live most of our lives missing the picture. We, we, we haven't seen the first 10 minutes, and we don't know what's going to come after, so we haven't seen the last 10 minutes. And so we come to the Lord, and sometimes God says, not yet, because I have seen the beginning, and I've seen the end, and I know everything in between, and so in my perfect timing, I'm going to deliver and bring exactly what is needed at exactly the right time, every single time. That's what the Lord does. Sometimes it's no, sometimes it's not yet. I want to just bring uh, Amy, invite Amy Maples up. She's going to share a, just a testimony of, uh, about prayer with us and encourage us, and then we'll close out with communion. Johnny asked me to share a quick testimony, obviously. Um, I've never really had a strong prayer life. I've been a Christian since I was a little girl, um, but I've never had a thriving prayer life. I've always loved the Lord and was passionate for Him, but it was always very difficult for me to pray. And anytime I heard a sermon or anything on prayer, I would just leave feeling really condemned and would half-heartedly kind of try and just, it was just, I began to just dread if they ever talked about prayer. (laughs) Um, Until um, April of last year, and that was when um, the Lord started me on a journey of prayer, and I got to share this with many of the ladies, so a lot of you guys already know this, but, um, and I don't have time to share the details of what happened, but the Lord rescued me from some pretty intense anxiety and fear and started me on this crazy, amazing walk of prayer that is still continuing 13 and a half months later. I am not the same person that I was. When I spoke to the women, it was last year, September. And already at that point, I had undergone such a transformation. Well, it's still going. <laughs> and I just can't believe what all the Lord has done in such in a year. He took the most desperate thing that was going on in my life and used that very thing as my rescue. So there was this, this thing that was happening inside that most people wouldn't have even known about. And, and, and this whole prayer walk started with just this desperate cry for help from this fear and anxiety. And as one day turned into the next, 
I began to see God get intricately involved in my life, in the details. And it became not just an answer to fear and anxiety, because he really rescued me from that in a really profound way. But it became about me and the Lord. It it became, this isn't just about an answer to prayer anymore. This isn't just about getting the things that I am desperate for in my life. It is now, I can't wait to connect with the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you guys, and I hope that inspires you. I I don't know if that's (laughs) without giving you too many details. Um, But I just, this has become this avenue to him. He is what I receive. When I knock and the door is open, it's him. When I ask and I receive, it's him. When I seek and when I find, I find him. And now, I... It's, it's all I want. It's all I care about anymore. It just feels like all I want is Jesus. Lord, whatever you need to do in my life, and that maybe that's scary to say that, but Lord, all I care is staying connected with you like this because I truly feel as if I understand now what it means to have the peace that passes all understanding. And it's not because everything in my life is perfect. It's not because every single thing I've asked for has happened. There are things the Lord has said not yet to, or, you know, as he's talking about, that's not why. It's because of this anchoring in him and this connection to him that is developed through this past year. And so I just want to encourage you guys that, that it really is, it's, it's powerful, and that you really will ask and, and what is it you ask? <laughs> you will seek and you will find him. Um, and um, just one practical application that has been super helpful for me, in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about going into your private room and shutting the door so people don't see you, and he will reward you instead of being seen by other people, and then that's your reward that they now think well of you. And so the context is about people's opinion versus, you know, pleasing God. But I have found just getting in a room with the door closed has been a huge, huge help for me. I used to pray in the living room or whatever, you know, before the kids get, and then people start getting up and People are talking. I'm distracted by things that I'm looking at. or I've even tried to do it on my back porch. I just can't. I now literally have a closet that we cleaned out. I have a little carpet square, a battery-powered light on the wall, and that is my prayer closet, and nothing distracts me. I can't even bring my phone in. I can't have anything else in there. It's me, my Bible, my journal, and the Lord. And so just as a little practical thought there to end with. But just I hope that encourages you guys that... This can happen maybe to you, too. <laughs> Thanks, Amy. A couple of things, a couple more practical things about prayer. I just want to share, and then we'll close. For me, what this looks like for me is, and I've said, we've said this before, but I've got three-by-five note cards, and on the note card is written the names of of, of of you, your names on these prayer cards, different prayer requests, children, whatever's going on at the time. And so I'll set a time, usually it's Friday, where I'm praying for you individually by name before the Lord. That happens on Friday, then on different days of the week, there's praying for the you know church in general, bigger things, praying for the family, I mean, all kinds of stuff that, that, that I do to pray. So that's more of like a consistent, ongoing more 
I want to say disciplined prayer time, but then there's also the times of prayer where you hear something that comes up. And you don't have time, I don't have time to go back, get a note card, write the prayer request in the note card, file it away and put it, you know, for my Wednesday prayer time, where just, there's a response of prayer. And in the, in the moment, whatever's going on, stopping and pray, Michelle and I will be talking and hear about something going on at church. Okay, let's just, just pray for that right now. And, and we do that, and, and we, just, we pray for whatever the situation may be. And sometimes it's, you hear someone bring something to you, you say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for that when I get home, or I'll pray for that later. For me, I find it's just best for me to say, hey, look, let's just pray right now. If we're in the grocery store, if we're at the restaurant, or if we're here at church, wherever we are, let's just pause for a moment. We'll just block out whatever's going on around us, and we'll just seek the Lord together. It does, it, we're not talking a 15-minute prayer time, but 30 seconds of going to the Lord together. Because So there's, for me, this is for me now. There's the disciplined, ongoing, regular prayer, and then there's also the, the kind of prayer that comes as things come at you during the day, and sometimes I need to write that down, or sometimes I need to revisit those prayers. That, you know. So I would encourage you, this is an invitation to relationship with the Lord. It's not primarily about getting our needs met, although the Lord, I believe, will meet our needs this is about a relationship that's anchored in Jesus Christ. So when he went to the cross and gave his life as a ransom for us, he now invites us into a relationship with him that goes much farther and deeper than just a prayer at the point of salvation, but a life of relationship and fellowship and community with him. And part of the way that that relationship is deepened and strengthened and blessed is through, through the simple, profound act of prayer. There's no shortcut to it. There's no quick fix for all of life. But what we have in Jesus Christ through his death and his resurrection, we have a high priest who prays for us, who invites us to pray to him. And we have the privilege of anchoring our lives in all that Jesus Christ is.